welcome to the Hope Vineyard Podcast. For more information, go to www.hopevineyardchurch.us. Good morning. Like Didi said, we are in this series uh, called Irresistible Faith. It's our summer series. We've been going through uh, summer, which is going by way too fast, in my opinion. Must say, July 7th, we're here already, but um, we're, we're talking about how we work, how we live, how we do life, where we recreate, how we do this in a way that uh, demonstrates that Jesus is irresistible, that our faith becomes irresistible. And we're using this book that's called Irresistible Faith, Becoming the Kind of Christian the World Can't Resist. It's by a, a pastor named Scott Sauls, who lives in Nashville. We're using that as our guide. It's, we're not following it verbatim, but we, I think we have a copy or two still available if you're interested in, in buying it. It goes way deeper into it than what, uh, than what we're covering because we're using it kind of as a stepping stone and personalizing it uh, according to who we are as a church. But essentially what we're doing is we're asking the question, how do we live our lives in such a way that we can be the best advertisement for Jesus? How do we be Christians who, the way we live, the way we talk, the way we uh, interact with others, how do we advertise Jesus in all of those ways? And uh, the first couple weeks of this series, we have talked about the abiding, uh, abiding in Christ, finding ourselves abiding in Christ. It's a Jesus-centered faith for us. Um, and uh, and we, we, the first three weeks, we talked about that. The last week, Dee Dee launched into our second part of this series, which is belonging to an irresistible community. And, uh, and it's about being Jesus-centered church communities. That noise is driving me nuts. I don't know if you hear it too, Billy. All right. Um, we want to be Jesus-centered communities, though. Uh, and, and that is the church, a, G- a Jesus-centered church. We want to be an irresistible community. And the problem is the church doesn't always seem to be irresistible, just like Christians don't always seem to be irresistible to others. Uh, and even if you look at the numbers, the numbers tell us this, the pe- that people, by and large, are not finding the church to be irresistible simply because they're, they're opting not to be members. Over the last 20 years, membership... Uh, Americans who would define themselves as a member of a church has dropped significantly. In 1999, 70% of Americans would say they are members of a church. 2019, a recent survey, the Gallup survey, shows that barely 50% of Americans are members of a church. That just would call themselves members. That doesn't even mean attending uh, much because there's, we know there's a lot of people who would say, I belong to that church, but they hardly ever attend, if at all. And so we're even seeing a growing percentage of people who identify as spiritual but are not part of a irresistible community. And, and that's challenging. It's challenging for us. So we, we, you know, we're asking the question, how do we become or cultivate an irresistible community? We see in uh, the book of Acts, the church and faith in Jesus spread wildly and quickly because people found Jesus to be irresistible through the way that people lived. They were not perfect. They had many challenges in the entire New Testament other than the gospel shows us the challenge of the church. And even today when we look at the book of Galatians, it's about uh, the challenges that are trying to be corrected. They had to walk through some difficult relational struggles in the early church. But they were focused on Jesus. They were focused on his kingdom. They, they 
were centered on the hope and the freedom that his grace brings. And that's what we're talking about in this, ne this next section. How can we become an irresistible community? How can Hope Vineyard be an irresistible community where people will feel loved, where they'll feel accepted, where they'll feel welcomed, where they can experience the love of God and the love of their neighbors, where people can come as they are, where they find hope in Jesus, and where they can be radically transformed to become more like him and walk in his ways. And so Didi talked last week in introducing this uh, about we need to be huggable porcupines and be willing to hug porcupines. It's not always easy, but we need to practice transparency and kindness. And uh, being vulnerable is not easy. But this is imperative because loneliness and isolation are on the rise, and that is the work of the devil. We were not created to be people who are lone ranger Christians. That being spiritual and not belonging to a community of believers is, that's totally outside the framework of what Jesus intended for the Christian faith. It, it might seem popular, might be part of our culture, but that is not the full breadth of Christianity. Just having a personal relationship with Jesus is not enough. We need to have a community relationship with Jesus. And, and that's based on uh, our understanding of how God, when he created us, it was, he, it's, it's modeling after his experience of himself, which is community. One God, three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And so that's, that's why we say community is part of God's original design for the church. And today we're talking about giving and receiving correction. Now, I'm not going to lie. Not my favorite topic. I drew the short straw. In fact, I found out that I was preaching this topic the same time all you all did. Last Sunday, when Dee Dee announced it while she was preaching. I see what she did there. Made it. She didn't even ask me. She just said, Jim's going to be preaching this next week. I said, oh, that's good news. It's not my favorite topic. And when I think of this topic, the first thing that comes to mind is Frank Costanza. You all know Frank Costanza, right? Uh, incidentally, uh, you know, the first episode of Seinfeld aired 30 years ago on Friday night. Um, and so it's one of my favorite uh, series of all times. But Frank Costanza comes to mind when I think of giving and receiving correction. Uh, Frank is known for creating the holiday Festivus. Festivus is, uh, is uh, in, uh, in response to all the consumerism and, and that type of thing uh, at Christmas. Uh, if you ever watch Seinfeld, you know about Frank. Go back for a second, uh, Bob, if you would. Airing of grievances, he says uh, it, it, it's, it, that's how Festivus starts, the airing of grievances. And, and he starts it basically, I got a lot of problems with you people, and now I'm gonna, you're going to hear about it. Is basically what he says. And that's what I think of with the, uh, you know, anytime giving, correction. That's my experience of being on the receiving end of correction. Usually it feels like somebody says, Jim, I got a lot of problems with you, and now you're going to hear about it. And so I, it's not my favorite topic, but here I am. And, and that's part of my healing journey, too. <laughs> because we have to be people who can give correction and receive correction in healthy ways. Healthy communities, healthy uh, communities are ones that uh, embrace this kind of interaction. The reality is that receiving and giving correction is a mark 
of irresistible communities. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Let's pray and, uh, and go forward here. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the, the promise of community. Uh, even with all its messiness, we know it's challenging. Um, but we, we pray, Lord, that you will, um, you will guide us in this. And as we look at your word today, I pray that it would uh, show, just illuminate it. Illuminate your word. Illuminate what you want to speak to us in our hearts. Show us where uh, we have um, places to surrender to you, where we can walk more in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name as we welcome you. Amen. We're going to be looking at Galatians. It's a letter in the back of the Bible. You can turn there now on your devices or, or whatever. Galatians 2 starting in verse 11. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. When I was a freshman in high school, I played football for one year. I only played my freshman year. Um, but uh, Coach Glosson was our coach. And he was, uh, he was kind of a lot like Frank Costanza, kind of very loud. Uh, yeah, very loud, I guess is how I would characterize him. And we were in the locker room, and he was giving it to us. Uh, I think this was after a practice. He's just yelling at us, yelling at us. And, and people are raising their hands trying to tell him something. And he's like, don't, you know, don't interrupt me while I'm talking. And, raise, you know, keep raising our hands. And then finally he gets done speaking whatever he's, gonna, whatever he's saying. And he's like, now what did you want? And uh, somebody said, your pen is leaking on your shirt. <laughs> So like his, his pen had leaked all over his shirt. It covered his entire shirt. Um, but he wouldn't let us interrupt him and tell him that. And, you know, there's a time for politeness and a time for pleasantries. And there's just a time to cut to the chase and be blunt. And that would have been one of those times when we just jumped in and say, you know, your pen is leaking on your shirt. When we look at Galatians, we see the same type of thing. There's times to be pleasant, but there's a time to be blunt. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul cuts right to the chase. He gets right down to it, even in the beginning of chapter 1. He's very direct. In verse 6 and 7, he says to the Galatians, all these churches, he says, you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. So that sets the, that sets the tone for the entire book of Galatians because Paul hears that they're not sticking to the gospel. They're being influenced by people who don't understand the full grace, the, the, really the dynamic of what had happened because of Jesus bringing the new covenant to earth and, and to humanity. And they're, they're messing it up. And Paul sees this and he says, I got to fix this. And so his tone in Galatians is urgent and it's very clear. So I want to encourage you as we read it, listen for that. So this is Galatians 2, uh, verse 11. It says right here, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. So he's telling the Galatians right off the bat here, you know, I'm bringing correction to you. You, in your community, I'm hearing that you're, you're adhering to a different gospel than the one that's been preached to you. And you're not special. You think you're special? I even opposed Peter to his face and told him he was wrong. He brought correction to Peter because Peter was very wrong. What did Peter do? Well, let's look at it in verse 12. Paul says, when he first arrived, Peter ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, 
Other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter was sending mixed messages by how he was acting and how he was relating to the believers. He was being hypocritical, Paul says. He was treating Jews and Gentiles differently. And you see, uh, Peter was, was afraid. Uh, the Judaizers had uh, come and started teaching. Judaizers were Christians who preached that you had to follow a, a mixture of uh, the Jewish laws, Jewish customs, everything that the Jews did first before you became a Christian. Essentially, you had to become a, a Jew before you could become a Christian. And one of the big sticking points was the issue of circumcision, which, guys, you know, that would be a sticking point. If you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and you'd never been circumcised, that's probably not the time you want to start. And so this was, this was a big sticking point for them. And Peter was a respected leader. Paul knew this. And he was influencing others. He, and they would notice what Peter did, and they began to think, maybe that's what it meant to follow Jesus. That I had become a Jew first before I could be saved. But Paul tells the, the Galatians, no, that's not how it works. It's not at all how it works. In verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Paul says you cannot have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. The true gospel message is not a mixture of grace and works. It's all about faith. We're saved through faith in Christ alone, not our pedigree, not who we were born under or from, not where we came from or how we grew up, but simply by putting our faith in Jesus alone. That's what saves us. And Peter knew this. Peter knew this. Uh, but fear and lack of faith tried to derail him and, and the gospel. And Paul saw this. Um, later in Galatians in chapter 5, Paul says that when we place our faith in Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. And so once you become a believer, once you have your faith in Christ, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And that is the, the, the joy and scandal of the gospel. The early Christians, some of the people who came, um, who started as Jews, who grew up as Jews and felt like they were favored people, they didn't necessarily like this. The book of Acts is, talks all about this. And this is why, why I say irresistible communities aren't necessarily perfect places with perfect people. What they are are people who are willing to give and receive correction, to grow with one another and help each other direct each other back towards Christ. Let's continue in verse 17. Paul says, But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. 
For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. And so Paul is saying, we're under a new covenant. It's a whole new way of relating to God because Jesus not only died, but he came back to life. He was resurrected with a new body and, and ushered in his kingdom. And, it, and it's, it, it's coming, though it's not fully here. And he says, don't try to resurrect what God has killed and buried. The old way of relating to God, it, it didn't work. There was, it didn't work at all. If, if it worked, then Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't have to come. But the reality is, it didn't work, so that's why Jesus came. To make a way. All those other things, all those things we thought uh, got God's attention or um, pleased him, the thing that God is most pleased in is in Jesus. And because we are heirs, we're born uh, through faith into God's family, we also get the favor that Jesus has. In Romans 8, Paul says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And so uh, Paul also tells us we live in these earthly bodies. We live through faith in Jesus, trusting in him. It's faith, not works. It's trust, not striving. And so when it comes to correction, when it comes to giving or receiving correction, um, we don't like either one of those, do we? I mean, some of us feel more free to give. Some feel way too free to give correction. Uh, others, uh, you know, the receiving part of it is easier for you. Um, but we don't like it. In giving correction, you know, it, it can be awkward, right? If you have to correct somebody, it can be uncomfortable. We don't, we don't know what to say. Oftentimes, if, if we see some, something or we understand, uh, you know, that, that this is not good for them, um, it's easier to just stay quiet because we don't know how people will respond, right? And so we don't like to give correction. We, for me, I think a big part of it is I feel like a hypocrite. And Jesus talks about this, where he, he talks about, um, you know, don't judge others. Don't judge them. I mean, they have a speck in their eye, but why? You have a log in your eye. Um, and so why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have that log? But the reality is, if you know, you, if you have a speck in your eye, you want somebody to help you get it out, right? It's uncomfortable. It's no fun. And so we don't like giving, um, giving correction because we feel like hypocrites. We feel like... I have a long way to go, so I, I shouldn't share. The receiving end is just as bad. Receiving correction from somebody is, it can be embarrassing. It can be painful. It can be humbling. Uh, we don't like people to see our deficiencies. Or we, we, we like to feel like we're better than we really are sometimes, too. And so um, when we receive correction, especially when it's done poorly, uh, 
We can feel like a failure. We feel like we don't measure up. Um, but irresistible communities are healthy and safe places to both give and receive correction. That's what we're going after. We want to become an irresistible community that it's a safe and healthy place for us to give and receive input from others. Galatians 6, when we talk about giving, Galatians 6, 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And so Paul says, even in this, uh, in this book to the Galatians, he's, this letter to them, he's saying, you, if you see somebody who's overcome with some sin, gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Have you ever had to confront somebody or bring correction to someone? Have you ever had to speak into someone's life because of their behavior or their words or actions are destructive to themselves or to the people around them? It's hard, isn't it? It's not easy to do that. Um, but giving correction when it's done well, when it's done in the right way, when it's done gently and humbly, shows love. We show love to other people when we're willing to bring correction or we're, we're willing to walk with them. Uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And so uh, the, the author of the book that we're using, Irresistible Faith, says, Sometimes love requires that we stand up and in humble boldness speak hard words to those whom we love. Similar to a reason that a surgeon would use a scalpel to remove cancer from a body. Uh, he says the surgeon cuts into the patient not because they're against the patient, but because they are for them. And so you have cancer surgery to remove those tumors, and, but it, it's painful in the process to go through that. Uh, but it shows love if you're willing to step alongside, come alongside someone and help them. Um, it also shows the gospel. We show the gospel when we, when we give correction uh, in the right way. The gospel is good news. It brings freedom. It reveals Jesus, his grace and joy and hope and love and peace. And Paul recognized that Peter was distorting the gospel. That was the biggest part of it, that Peter was uh, misrepresenting the, the, the grace of Jesus. And he was leading others astray through that too because he was relying on works and not on the grace of God. And so when Paul recognized that Peter was doing this, he confronted him. And when we give correction to someone, it's an opportunity for us to reveal Jesus as well, his gospel, his better way. And when we see that, uh, that that's not happening, when, when somebody is um, abusive or if they're hurting themselves through addiction or through some other ways, uh, sometimes God will lead us to speak into their lives. It shows the gospel. It's an opportunity for that. But how do we do that? Now, now this message, we don't have all day here. Uh, this is actually a long series of ways how we can do this well. And so I want to encourage you, this is a process. It's part of being transformed. Um, but one of the ways that we do that is, first, it's got to be born out of love for the person. Um, it's in their best interest, not in your best interest. It's in their best interest, not your opportunity to tell them how right you are, right? Um, we want to be in their best interest, not just because it bothers you or because you don't agree, 
but because you love them. And one of the ways that you can tell is, have you even bothered to pray for them before you confronted somebody? Have you brought correction without praying for that person? And I'm not just saying a quick prayer before you go into the meeting or before you call them up. I'm saying on your knees, months and weeks sometimes, years sometimes, praying for people, for, for God to intervene. Um, it's out of love for that person. And, you ha- and to, to love them, you have to be in relationship with them. That's, not, that's why um, posting things on Facebook or, or lobbying uh, correction in all those other ways that you see a lot of times in our society, um, that's why it doesn't work. For, for correction to come, it has to be through relationship. You have to be invested in somebody's life in order to think about giving them correction. Um, some of you might have heard the phrase, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you, right? I heard that a lot growing up. I never believed it. I, I'm like, you're not the one getting spanked. I never believed it. But that's true. When, it, when we give correction, we have to have that mindset of, this is going to hurt me even more than it hurts you. It should hurt you. It should, it should tie you up in knots. To, to step into that zone and, and to even think about giving correction. And it has to be done in the right way. One of the ways that Jesus shows us about bringing correction is in Matthew 18. And you can read it, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. He talks about when you have to correct somebody, you don't talk to your neighbor about it. You don't process it with friends. You go directly to that person. You go one-on-one. There's no triangling where you say, hey, you know, so-and-so uh, is doing this. Can you talk to them for me? Okay, it's one-on-one. If that doesn't work, Jesus says, hey, I got another solution. Bring along a witness. Bring somebody who, who also loves that person, is invested in them, and talk to them about it. If that doesn't work, then you bring it to the church, I mean, is, is what he's talking about in that passage. Um, but we have to remember, gently and humbly, as it says in, in verse uh, chapter 6-1, gently and humbly, now, one of the things um, for, for bringing correction, there's a, an excellent book called Crucial Conversations. And it's this book, it's all about having these kind of conversations with people. Um, this is a, it's a book that is really for the, the marketplace. It's, it's not a church book, but all of these principles apply. It's about um, have, letting it be a safe place, you know, uh, an accepting place of conversations with people. It talks about topics, and we don't have time to go through all of this. You can get this book, but I'll give you a little hint. You can Google Crucial Conversations Summary, and uh, there's a whole lot of um, breakdowns about this. You don't even have to read it necessarily, although it is an excellent book with lots of details that, that help us in doing that. Um, but there are good ways to confront, and there are terrible ways to confront and bring correction. And so um, I encourage you, check that out as you think about giving correction. But what about receiving correction? I mean, that's hard too. Proverbs 20, or sorry, Proverbs 19.20 says, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. And so it's important for us to be people who welcome other people's input in our lives, to receive it. Um, Receiving correction well shows humility. It shows that we're open to correction and it it demonstrates that God is at work in your life. 
In, in Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you can receive correction well, uh, it shows that the fruit of the Spirit is at work in your lives. Now, we don't like to be told that we need to improve. We don't like to know, uh, be told that we have to change or that uh, what we're doing is, is not helping ourselves or helping others. We don't like that. But being able to receive correction shows that we know we haven't arrived yet. And we know that we are loved in it. Proverbs 15 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. So listening uh, to, uh, to any kind of correction, even if it's not right, uh, does show a sense of humility. It also shows grace. It's an opportunity for us to show the grace of God to those who are confronting us. Because we all know that giving correction takes a lot of guts on the person who's coming to you. Because it's not always easy, unless that person is just a jerk. And there are people who just love to tell other people how to live their lives. But that's not what I'm talking about. We show the grace of God by listening actively, by being calm, by not being defensive immediately, by weighing the evidence thoughtfully and honestly. Asking and honestly asking, is it true? There's a story that someone said, if, if one person calls you a horse's butt, ignore it. If two people call you a horse's butt, something to consider. Three people call you a horse's butt, you should buy a saddle. <laughs> but it doesn't always mean they're right when they bring correction, right? It doesn't always mean they're right. Years ago, there was somebody uh, who was part of the church that uh, came to me and, um, and didn't like it. I, at, I was playing in a band that would play in bars. And they didn't, they didn't like that. They felt like, um, well, he told me, Jesus never would be found in a bar. Like, that's not a place Jesus would ever go. Even, you know, like, I wasn't getting drunk and I, it wasn't partying. I was playing in, in a band. And uh, he felt like I was distorting the gospel witness simply by being there. And... Uh, me, on the receiving end, I, I, I saw it a totally different way. I, I told him Jesus would totally be found in bars. I mean, Romans 8 tells us that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. We can find Jesus in our lowest of low places, wherever we go. Jesus would, would be, and, and, and do you even know what Jesus' first miracle was? The turning water into wine for a party? And so... He, he would go to the, the, any place that you are to find you. And so what I shared with him was that I saw, him, I saw my role there more in a missional standpoint, just in the same way, that, in, in a similar way that a missionary would go to um, another culture that doesn't know Jesus, right? And so that was part of what I was doing. I felt I was called to extend the kingdom in that way, um, but I wanted to extend grace in listening and even though I didn't agree uh, with the correction or with what was being shared, it, you're, it's not always going to happen that way, but it's part of the relational building that we have to be an irresistible community of the church. And so as we do this, we, we, it gets messy, and we have to embrace the mess. To, to really be an irresistible community means that we have to embrace the messiness of relationship uh, start, stops, falls, and everything. Uh, for the church to be irresistible, be irresistible community, 
that God has created and called us to be, we have to learn how to be people who give and receive correction better. And this is my perspective, but increasingly I'm seeing very little, man, my tongue, I need a new tongue. It's not working today. I am seeing very little willingness uh, to embrace this type of community in a lot of people. Uh, we, we have a culture where offense is easily embraced. And, and it's infected the church. It seems that people are more willing to leave and write other people off than to engage in any kind of relationship building. Uh, we see our relationships more as disposable than anything. And um, even when you think you have equity in somebody's life, uh, I'm, I'm seeing less and less willingness to engage in any kind of constructive criticism or correction. And so it is a, a messy, messy thing. Community is messy. Ministry is messy. We say hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard that before too. And the church is part of that messiness. This is not a perfect church. If, if you're looking for a perfect church, good luck, because there are none. But we have to engage if we want to be the irresistible community that God's called us to be. It's important for us to engage in this kind of relationship building, to be the family that he's called us to be. And families, as you know, are messy. Uh, but the church is the best thing that God's got going. It's, what he, it's how he has chosen to uh, bring his light to the world. Now, I don't believe Jesus is asking us to pursue to be being the biggest or the coolest or uh, the neatest church in this area. But I, what I do think he's called us to be is to be the healthiest church that we can be. And if we're a healthy church, then we will see him move in powerful ways. If we personally get healthy and if we as a community get healthy where we can relate to one another in ways that honor Jesus and show his love and grace, then I, I just imagine what what the world around us will take notice. I mean, I encourage you today to ask Jesus where he wants you to grow. Is it in the, the giving or in the receiving or is it in both? It's challenging stuff. And then ask him to help you do it with his love and grace. And today we're gonna give you the opportunity during the cookout to confront each other. <laughs> no, I'm just totally kidding. While you're eating, and there's something. I have a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear about it. No, no, that's not what the cookout's for. Um, but that's where it starts, relationship building. And that's one of the reasons that we're excited to eat together uh, today.